0: Welcome. The following presentation from Answers in CME is part of an educational activity titled Patient Conversations in Plaque Psoriasis, discussing novel TIC-2 inhibitors for the treatment of patients who are candidates for systemic therapy. To access the full program and supporting materials, please visit the activity URL in the episode description. This activity is supported through an educational grant from Bristol Myers Squibb. The patient is George, a 45-year-old man working as an accountant who presented with approximately 8% body surface area of psoriasis, distributed on the arms and legs primarily, a little bit on the back, describes some degree of paritis also associated with the psoriasis. He previously had tried and failed multiple topical therapies, including topical corticosteroids, vitamin D analogs, and the newer aryl hydrocarbon receptor agonist, off and stated he really wasn't seeing any benefits from any of these therapies. He's here today to discuss treatment options. Hello, my name is Burst Strober. I'm a clinical professor of dermatology at Yale University and also practice at Central Connecticut Dermatology in Cromwell, Connecticut. Today, we will discuss where novel TIC2 inhibitors fit in the current treatment landscape for plaque psoriasis. Let's start by reviewing when a patient with plaque psoriasis should be considered for systemic therapy. But considering therapies for patients with psoriasis, it's really simple. There are either people who get topical therapies or people who get systemic slash phototherapy. The latter are the group of patients who either one, have a BSA of 10% or more, or two, fail topical therapy, or three, have special areas involved, such as the hands, the scalp, the nails, the genitals, intertriginous. With this kind of simplified approach to delineating who gets what, you will quickly arrive at treatment decisions that bring a better probability of high quality of life to patients and also reduce their frustration. The systemic therapies for plaque psoriasis really are described by two major categories, the biologic agents and the oral agents. Quickly, the biologic agents are a great number. It's been a huge development over the past 15 years. The TNF inhibitors, an IL-1223 inhibitor, the IL-17 pathway inhibitors, and the IL-23 inhibitors. The older drugs in the oral category include methotrexate, cyclospor, and acetretin, which are differentially effective, but all have tolerability and subtoxicity, requiring blood test monitoring over time. premolas was more recently developed. It's a PDE4 inhibitor with modest efficacy, but some intolerability that limits its use in many patients. And finally, more recently, we have Ducravacitinib, an allosteric tick 2 inhibitor, which has been shown in its clinical trials to be superior to a prebolast, yet also lacks any tolerability issues and really for most patients, any monitoring requirements. There are a few others in the pipeline that have moved through phase two. TIK2 has become a very preferred target by pharmaceutical development, and tick 2 inhibition Probably like to have a sit- that results in efficacy with minimal monitoring and minimal safety issues. So look for the tick two inhibitors to have an expansion in number and gaining label approval over the next few years for people with psoriasis. So in summary, the treatment landscape for plaque psoriasis is rapidly evolving. We're expanding the number of biologic therapies, and increasingly, more oral options are being developed. TIC 2 inhibitors represent a very promising class of oral option. Next, we'll discuss the latest evidence for available and late-stage TIC 2 inhibitors in the treatment of plaque psoriasis. Let's review the clinical trial data that we have to date for ducravacitinib. Which was recently approved, and NDI 034858, which has recently entered phase two trials. Decravacitinib was studied in its phase three program in two parallel studies called Poetic SO1 and SO2. And the primary endpoint was the achievement of the POSI 75 at week 16. In these studies, Decravacitinib, one daily at six milligrams, was compared to a Prebolas, 30 milligrams, twice a day standard dose and placebo. And as this shows, it's clear that ducravacinib is superior to both placebo and a at week 16, and these differences were statistically significant. A similar trend for posi-75 achievement rate was seen when ducravacinib-treated patients were carried through two years, implying that responses with ducravacinib are durable through that time period. Another TIC2 inhibitor, NDI 034858, was put to the test in a phase 1b study of patients with plaque psoriasis. It was a small study of 21 patients. But clearly, when looked at three different doses, 5, 10, and 30 milligrams, more patients in the 30 milligram dose were achieving POSI 50, POSI 75, and 90 than the two lower doses. And further, much better than the placebo group of five patients where nobody was getting POSI 50, 75, and 90. The upshot of this study is the drug works. It works better at a higher dose and it works better than placebo and that it should be brought forward into phase two for further examination of not only efficacy, but also safety and tolerability. In summary, in adults who are candidates for systemic therapy, Newly approved depravacitinib provides superior skin clearance compared to a prevalence and has been shown to maintain clinical efficacy after two years. Further, another TIC2 inhibitor, NDI 034858, shows similar benefit in patients with plaque psoriasis and likely will be moved forward into phase two in a larger number of patients to better evaluate its efficacy, safety, and tolerability. Next, we'll discuss the clinical safety profiles of these agents. It's really the selectivity of tic 2 that reduces the potential toxicities related to JAK1 through 3 inhibition. Traditional JAK inhibitors bind more or less non-selectively to all the JAK kinases with different preferences. But because they bind to the catalytic domain, the active site, which is shared across the JAK inhibitors, including tic 2 the traditional JAK inhibitors are not selective. The newer tic 2 inhibitors, which are often allosteric in their mechanism of action, bind to the regulatory domain of tic 2 which isn't shared across the JAK inhibitors. That allows selectivity and therefore a specificity for tic 2 and results in improved tolerability compared with traditional JAK inhibitors. In the Ducravacin and Phase 3 program, adverse events occurring in greater than or equal to 1% of patients receiving the drug include upper respiratory tract infections, CPK elevation, herpes simplex, mouth ulcers, folliculitis, and acne. Once you to note that the herpes simplex signal was greater in of treated patients than placebo. And how I deal with that in clinical practice is just to warn patients with a previous history of herpes that they might be more likely to get a recurrence of herpes while on drug. And important to see here, at year two compared to year one, you really don't see a significant increase in frequency of these adverse events of interest. Some of these, like MACE, embolism, and malignancy, are adverse events we typically worry about with nonspecific JAK kinase inhibitors. But here we see the percentage of patients affected with Ducrabacitinib is low, and therefore it is believed that these low numbers imply that Ducrabacitinib's specificity for just TIC 2 spares the drug of some of the safety baggage we typically associate with jack kinase inhibitors. In this vein, the specificity of depravitinib lends us to believe, based on the data, that laboratory monitoring really isn't an onerous issue when using a specific allosteric T2 inhibitor. This slide shows that essentially the complete blood count, lymphocytes, neutrophils, platelets, red cells, is not affected by depravitim use. In fact, the only meaningful elevations in laboratory parameters was with the CPK, where you saw slightly more patients getting grade 3 and 4 adverse events with CPK elevation relative to placebo. That said, most of these instances of CPK elevation were clinically irrelevant, asymptomatic. And for this reason, I don't typically monitor CPK in patients receiving Degrapsinib. And finally, adverse events of interest that we're seeing with NDI 034858 in a small phase 1b study showed maybe a little diarrhea and some infection, but none of the other issues about which we might be concerned, such as acneiform, dermatitis, aptus ulcers, headache, or any other treatment emergent adverse event that we typically associate with a JAK kinase inhibitor. Next, we're going to talk about patients with plaque psoriasis who may benefit from a tick 2 inhibitor. Now I'll discuss which patients might actually benefit from Take-2 inhibitor therapy. We'll cover that in this session, but let's first review factors that might inform treatment selection in general. For me, again, it's about whether or not a patient has failed topical therapy or they've had involvement of special areas or they just have a large amount of psoriasis covering their body. In this instance, I always can go to a systemic therapy. I think about comorbidities and formulary restrictions, patient preferences, and especially if a patient wants an oral therapy, I'm going to offer them a TIC2 inhibitor like dupravacitinib. I'll explain to them the lack of blood monitoring and the good tolerability. Now, comorbidities are important and primarily with dupravacitinib, the comorbidities we think mostly about are a risk for infection and as well if they have significant liver disease if they have significant liver disease, we probably want to follow the liver function test during therapy. And if they have really significant liver disease, we wouldn't use the drug. But for the most part, this is a first-line aging. I'll use it right after topical therapy. And I think very easily use it because most patients do not have a comorbidity or a preference issue that steers me away from it. So along these lines, the patients that benefit from TIC2 inhibitor therapy would be adult patients with plaque psoriasis. Or candidates for systemic therapy. That means they don't do well in topical therapy. They might be biologic naive. In other words, this could be their first systemic agent. They might prefer oral dose. Many patients would rather have oral medications than injectable medications. And perhaps patients with psoriatic arthritis, as there are positive results from a phase two study of patients receiving depravacinib who have psoriatic arthritis. It's always important to have shared decision-making. Every patient is different in many different ways. Patients have different preferences, medical backgrounds, risk aversion, and formulary requirements with regard to their insurance. So in summary, due to their risk-benefit profiles, tick 2 inhibitors are appropriate for most patients with plaque psoriasis. Now we'll talk about how to use depravacindib now that it's actually approved for plaque psoriasis. Now that Ducravacinib is approved, let's review management considerations for patients. Well, the only thing you really have to do at baseline is screen for TB. So I get a quantifier on gold. I counsel patients to receive age-appropriate immunizations and not to use live vaccines while they're on Ducravacinib. The baseline laboratory tests I typically get for people who are about to get Ducravacinib are not only the quantifier gold, but I might get a CBC and a comprehensive metabolic panel, hepatitis B and C. Some patients just have abnormalities on these parameters that I want to know about it at the baseline. Now remember, Dupravacitinib is a once-daily, six milligram oral pill. It can be taken with or without food, it does not have drug interactions, that's a major point. And while patients are receiving it, they should be monitoring for active infections and they should know if they have an active infection requiring an antibiotic or laying them up in bed or associated with a fever, that they should skip their dose of Dupravacitinib until they get better. At this time, there's not a lot of data regarding pregnancy, so I would avoid Ducrepacinib in women attempting conception and women who are breastfeeding. One other aspect of Ducrepacinib I want to emphasize is during therapy, I don't follow laboratory tests unless they had significant liver disease at baseline. Then I'll get an episodic liver function test and just make sure everything's staying normal there. How do we assess response to tick two inhibitor therapy patients? We should see measurable improvement from month to month. At week four in the clinical trial, statistically more people getting to are better than the placebo. What I do tell them is probably your maximum response will be three to six months in, and therefore be patient. Of course, with any therapy, non adherence can be a barrier to treatment success. Whether it's injectable or oral, you have to emphasize patients taking the medication at its labeled dose. In this instance, to it is an oral pill once daily. And being once daily, it's easier. But I really try to tell patients, if you miss doses, you're not going to do as well as you want. Like. So have some way of reminding yourself to take the medication, usually at the same time every day. Build it into your routine. So everyone should understand that we're at a really revolutionary moment in psoriasis therapy, where we're getting the development of oral therapies that are highly selective, very effective, and require minimal monitoring and risks to the patient. Tick-to inhibition might make it easier for our patients to enjoy psoriasis therapy, achieve success with good tolerability, and high confidence in the therapies that are presented to them. In essence, that's high confidence in you and your ability to make people psoriasis have better quality of life. Thank you for listening. Please visit the activity URL in the episode description to view all program materials, complete the post-test, and get a certificate.